0: Everybody, Jackie Morgan, we love you. You're amazing, and we honour you, and we thank you so, so much for sharing your beautiful story with us. <clears throat> thank you for, um, yeah, sharing that so vulnerably and so honestly. And we've honoured you along the whole way. We've just thought you've been incredible. You're an incredible role model, and um, we have no doubt that God is going to use you powerfully, powerfully, and powerfully. Jackie had a lot of waiting to do along the way in her journey. She um, first found out that she had a lump and then she had to wait and find out what that lump was and then as you heard she underwent some surgery and then she had to wait some more and she had to find out how the surgery went and then she had to have some chemo and so she had to wait from session to session to session. She then had to wait for the results at the end of the chemo treatment and see whether they'd done what they were supposed to do. Then she had radiotherapy and she had to wait some more and then she had to wait some more and then she had more tests done and she experienced this waiting game along the way that was excruciating at times. And we absolutely honour the way that you waited, Jackie, because um, you did that so graciously and so beautifully. And I think that You and I all know what waiting feels like because it's probably a human experience that we share with 60 billion others on the face of the earth, right? We all know what waiting feels like. And you see, as we wait for various things in our life, the big things and the small things, we've just seen an example of the big things. But you see, you and I are waiting for things every single day. You and I are waiting for things over various seasons of our life. Some of that waiting is extended and some of that waiting is not as extended. But you see, as we wait, we can go through very different experiences and very different, um, I guess, mindsets and mentalities within those waiting times. Sometimes we go through our waiting and then we stand back and we go, whoa, (laughs) does God actually care? And we feel like we want to have this dialogue with God where we go, you know what, God, like, I don't know if anyone's told you this before, but actions speak louder than words. Like, yeah, I get what the Bible says, but actually if you really cared, you'd maybe do something. And so when we realize that God's not doing anything, we then resort maybe to others who can. But you see, other times we just go, well, I totally believe that God can, and I totally believe that he loves me, but I don't actually think that he can now. (laughs) I don't actually think that even God has what it takes to do anything in my situation because it's so far gone. It's just at the end. It's at the bottom line where where the rubber hits the road right now, I've got that prognosis, I've got that, I've seen this, I've read that. And not even God can. And so we find ourselves in situations where we are experiencing incredible despair and defeat. And we end up wallowing in our sorrow. And our waiting period becomes really, really excruciating. But you see, there's other times Where we sit in our waiting period and we think to ourselves, God just won't. God just won't. Because God knows what I'm like. God knows what I've done. God knows who I really am on the inside. And you know what? I actually deserve to be punished and chastened by him. And so he actually won't. And I know that. He just won't. Because he couldn't. Because he's a just God. And so whatever we do and whatever mindset we have in our waiting game determines How our wait period looks, correct? You see, we can have one of two mentalities as we wait on anything in our world. We can have a fear mentality or we can have a favor mentality. A fear mentality puts us in a rut, it sends us in a spin. It it just disturbs us so much, so we feel like we just we can't even get through 24 hours, let alone if you know, tomorrow I don't have an outcome and I don't have a resolve. What am I gonna do with that? That's what a fear mentality looks like. A favor mentality, on the other hand, puts us in a very different state of mind. A favor mentality turns our waiting into winning, gives us a winner's mentality. Our fear mentality puts our waiting into a wallowing mentality. And so we can choose which of these to go with. And so you might say, well, yeah, that's fair enough, Susie, a favour mentality and a fear mentality. Well, that's all well and good, because as I'm actually going through my hard time, and as I'm actually journeying through this waiting game, it's all good and well for you to say that you actually don't know how long I've been waiting. How do I actually get this favour mentality, and what am I supposed to do with that? We'll get there, but what I want you to know is that we do have a choice of one or two mentalities. The favor mentality turns our waiting into winning, and our fear mentality turns our waiting into wallowing. And over the last three weeks during our Mosaic Artist Series, we have looked at the book of Esther. And if you've been here, you will know that the Jewish people went through a very, very excruciating waiting period as they waited for basically their death. They waited for their annihilation. We pick up the story just as a little bit of uh, of revision to bring you up to speed. Esther chapter 3 and verse 7. And we read that it says this, In the twelfth year of King Zerus, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pur, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Now that doesn't mean very much. It's a bit, you know, a bit tongue-tied. But basically we learnt that what happened was Haman, who was an evil guy in the story of Esther, cast a lot and decided that all the Jewish people were going to be annihilated, and the lot was cast to say that they would be annihilated in the 12th month. At this point in time, they're in the first month. So the Jewish calendar looks very different to ours, but the waiting period was 12 months. They decided that they were all going to die in the first month, and they were all going to die in the 12th. Now, incidentally, their 12th month equates to March, but nonetheless, it's still a 12-month waiting period. So the Jews were basically hanging around, knowing that they were going to die, but they had to wait 12 months for it. That's a pretty long time to wait around, not for the unknown, but for the known, like waiting doom day. That is what they waited for. Now, important to understand a little bit of background here as well, because you see, the Jewish people who lived in Persia were actually on exile or in exile in Persia. They had an opportunity at some point in time to head back to their homeland, but those who were still there in Persia may have very well, rightly so, had the understanding or had the fear that, you know what, they actually deserved this because they didn't head back home when they could have head back home and so they would had their chance already and so now they're about to face punishment, perhaps that was some of their mentality, who knows. But the moral of the story was, there was this decree that was going to annihilate all of their people. We know that, and we know that's terrifying, and we know that that would have set them into a complete spin. But as we've unpacked the book, we also know that they walked into that season and they went through that journey and that waiting game with a favour mentality. They had a favor mentality about them, the Jewish people and also Esther and Mordecai. And I want to unpack in the short while that we have together, how can you and I have a favor mentality in our waiting periods of life? How can you and I go through the waiting seasons of our life with a favor mentality rather than a fear mentality? And I want to unpack this through the story so that we can make sense of it and land it a little bit more. So, you'll actually recall that when Esther and Mordecai found out that their people were going to be annihilated, Esther approached the king to try and say to him, hey, you know, king, can you help us? What are you going to do? You know, my people are going to die. This can't happen. The story tells us that when Esther actually approached the king for the very first time, that was a very nerve-wracking moment for her because she didn't have any history with the king at that point. And so he needed to extend his golden scepter to her to show her favor and save her from dying, because if he didn't show favor, she would immediately die. That was the custom of the time. And so Esther actually approached him. He extended the scepter, and then he said, What do you want me to do? What is it? How can I help you? And so she puts on her brave and she says, well, actually, what I want you to do is can you turn up to a banquet later today? And he says, sure, sure, sure. And so he turns up to a banquet later today and then good old Esther, she goes, when he asks her, so what do you want me to do? Because he's like, we're at the banquet now. And she says, well, actually, (laughs) would it be okay if you turned up to another banquet tomorrow? what and we read that and we go Esther come on get with the program like your luck might run dry just because he sort of like said what do you want me to do like don't keep milking it lady like you know just like tell him and you might not have another chance like tell him what you want but no Esther has a favor mentality Esther thinks well I was chosen amongst 400 girls I had a lot of favor over me He then uh, extended out the golden scepter to me. That was favor as well. He came to the first banquet. That was favor. He's now at the second banquet. And so Esther has put on a favor mentality. She's got no reason to doubt that the king accepted her the first time. Why wouldn't he accept her the second time? She wore a favor mentality. I want to read it to you in the scripture. And it says this from Esther chapter 8 verse 3 and 6. And you can follow if you've got your Bibles, it says this. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the agitite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the golden scepter to Esther, and she rose and stood before him. And she says, if it pleases the king, and if he regards me with favor, and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman son of Hamadatha the Agitite devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see destruction on my family? You see, Esther kept trusting that she would have favor with the king. She wasn't scared of coming back for more. You see, I don't know how you feel about coming back to God, for more all the time but I want you to know this I want you to know three things that I'm going to unpack this morning that will help you grasp a favor mentality in your waiting periods and the first one is that we have a God of divine quotas that God is a God of divine quotas you see Esther didn't think her luck was going to run dry she kept coming back for more She kept coming back for more. Because you see, she had a precedent that the king had accepted her and he had no reason not to again. And I know for a fact, whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, that you too have some precedents where you know that the God of the universe has stepped into your situation and done something for you at some point in your life. And so, if we are to have a favor mentality in our waiting times, we need. To remember that our God is not a God of quotas. That our God is a God of divine quotas, not worldly quotas. See, when I keep coming back to God again and again, he doesn't go, now hang on a minute, Susie, have you read the fine print in the contract? Because I told you it was two breakthroughs a month. I told you you could only come up to me twice in the month. Like, this is the third time. (laughs) You know, like, do you not know that there's other people that I've got to look after? You know, I mean... God doesn't function like an insurance company. God doesn't have no-claim bonuses. God is the God of divine quotas. His quotas don't exist for us. They just keep going and going and going. And you see, the scripture says in James 1.5, that my God and your God gives liberally and without reproach. He gives generously. He gives loose-handed And he gives, and he gives, and he gives. And so what are the precedents in your world that you need to hold on to? What are the precedents in your world that you need to keep coming back to and saying, God, you did it then, you can do it again? What are those things for you? Because God is a God who never changes. The scripture tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he could do it then, he'll do it today. And he's never going to say, I'm sorry. That doesn't count over and roll over into the next month. I'm sorry, you've already used your allowance. But he gives liberally and without reproach. You know, um, my husband Peter and I have this um, acronym written up, a three-letter acronym written up on our mirror at home in our room. And we're the only two people who can make sense who know what this acronym is. But it's three letters. And those three letters to us tell a story over an extended season in our life where God basically engineered insane, crazy outcomes in ways that no human being could have ever engineered and landed us with, with outcomes and solutions to problems that look like they never, ever had solutions and never, ever had answers. And we've got this acronym. It stands for three words. We know what they mean. And when we, we read that out, and when we look at our mirror, and when we look at that, it, it describes an entire season of our life. And when we find ourselves at crossroads, and when we find ourselves at waiting times in our life, and we go, oh my goodness, God, where are you? Are you ever going to come through? We look at each other and we go, he's the God of this acronym. And that just means everything to us. Because we go back to that precedent, and we receive a favor mentality to say, if he did it then, once, twice, three times over, and over and over again, there is absolutely no reason why he can't do it again. And so if you haven't pulled out your precedents with God, if you don't have them documented, if you can't remember and pinpoint right now what the precedents are where you saw the hand of God move supernaturally in your world, I encourage you, take the time to pull those out. Take the time to pull those out and remember that your God is a God of divine quotas a God of divine quotas, a God who gives liberally and without reproach. The second way that you and I can actually grasp and hold on to a favor mentality is to remember that God is a God of divine solutions. And to remember this in our waiting times, God is a God of divine solutions. And I want to pick up the story of Esther again, just to help us make sense of this a little bit more. Esther 8, verse 7 to 11, and it says this. King Zerus replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew. And he says, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther. Before I read on, I just want to give you some background. Haman, our evil guy, may have died, but the decree that he set to annihilate all the Jewish people was still alive and well. And the law of the land was that if a decree was set, it had to follow through with. Yeah? And so it couldn't be a rule that was abolished or you know, no one could say, well, sorry, you know, I'm in charge now and I'll just decide that that's not going to happen anymore. It had to go through. It had to go through. And so they're in this situation where evil had to take place, where death had to take place, where annihilation had to take place. But they believed in God, of, of the, of, in the God of divine solutions. Picking up again from our text, it says, Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, the king says, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. And then he says to Esther and Mordecai, because he's the God of divine solutions. Yes, the decree had to go through. Yes, the decree couldn't be abolished. Yes, the decree couldn't have been torn up and let's just write another one and pretend like that never happened. But what do we do with that? And you see, what happened here is proof of the fact that God is a God of divine solutions. And the king says to Esther and Mordecai, he says, Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews, it seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring so they now have his signet ring. And he says, For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. He's talking about the original decree that was going to annihilate them all. It can't be revoked. But, Let's go on. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Zerus, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them by mounted courier who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted that the Jews in every city have the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. Do you get what just happened? So this decree couldn't have been void. It couldn't have been made void. But the king says to them, go and write something else that works with this and works around this to save your people. And so he gives them basically full creative license. Here's the ring, go and do what you like, seal it in my name and work it out. And so he lets them go off. And what they do, is write another decree to overlap and sit over the top one that says, OK, cool, we know we can't cancel that date, it's gone out, everybody knows we're meeting that day. they're meant to kill us. How can we creatively get around this? Let's think, let's think, let's think. Um, you know what? We could just say that we have the right to get out and fight for ourselves and that we have the right to kill the enemies. And that was the decree. And that went out to override the first one, and it went out to all of the provinces the original decree went out to. Crazy, right? Just crazy. Because you see, God is not just the God of creative solutions. He's the God of (laughs) loopholes. He's the God who doesn't need to follow any of the rules but doesn't break the rules if he doesn't follow them, if that makes any sense. He's the God who can engineer the universe and do anything he likes and creatively come up with anything he wants to do to make things work. Favor and my favor. He's the God who engineers outcomes for you and me that no one else could engineer. He's the God that can rewrite new decrees that have new things happen that override old decrees. He's the God when you look like you're at a crossroad and you can't do anything and you're at the end of yourself. He's the God who can rewrite creative new decrees. He's the God who can come up with loopholes that the smartest solicitor could never find. That's the God that you and I worship. And so, if we have that mindset and if we carry that with us, how can we not have a favor mentality? How can we step into our waiting times and our difficult solutions, difficult situations and go, there's no solution. We're doomed. God can't do anything. It's not our God. Now, that's not to say that your waiting times and my waiting times are not hard. I'd be delusional to think that. I'm real too. We're all real. We all know that waiting times are excruciating. But you see, creative solutions also means creative impartation of peace, creative impartation of supernatural grace and perseverance and boldness and new mercies every day. And that is how we get through our waiting times. That's how Esther and Mordecai got around the annihilation of their people. And thirdly, the other thing that you and I can do to walk around with a favor mentality over our life is to have a mindset that believes that God is the God of divine abilities. That God is the God of divine abilities. Let me read to you from Esther 8.15 and it says this. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness, and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. Do you know what I find quite funny about this? Is that actually the 12th month had not arrived yet, but they were celebrating. Like what? (laughs) You guys for real? Like what if the plan falls over? Like what if you're celebrating, you're getting all excited and all hyped up and, you know, you're going to set yourselves up for failure, guys. Like settle down. Like at least wait till you've actually won and conquered and then celebrate. But they go, no, you know what? Because that would be proof that we're actually relying on our own abilities and the fact that we conquered. But we're going to celebrate right here and right now because we believe that we worship a God with divine abilities. We believe that when he says it, he does it. And so we're celebrating before the event. Wow. I can't even stand up here and say that that's a regular practice in my life. Hypocritical much? Just human, I'd say. But what I want to do is I want to grasp a favor mentality over my life so that when God says it, I can stand in it and I can walk in it and I can celebrate it before my eyes see it. Before my physical eyes see it, my eyes of faith are already there. They're celebrating. They're joyous. There was gladness, feasting and celebrating amongst all of the Jews, it says to us. I love that. I love that. Let's read on. Esther 9, 1 to 4. So the actual day, (laughs) now the day's arrived, right? So this is doom day. But they're excited. They're excited. I don't know about you, but when I'm waiting for something, I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I'm wondering about how it might play out. I'm like, oh, this better go to plan. They were like, we've got this. We've got this. And they go in with that mentality, favor mentality. And then in Esther 9, it says this, on the 13th day of the 12th month, 12 months of waiting and we finally arrived the month of adar the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out and on this day the enemies of the jews had hoped to overpower them you see their enemies haven't backed down yet it says the enemies of the jews had hoped to overpower them their enemies are coming in strong <laughs> it's not like they got wind of the fact of the new decree and they're like ooh we're a bit shaky now oh no 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 their enemies are still coming in strong does that faze them no and the scripture says to us the best line ever it says, but now the tables were turned. But now the tables were turned. Hallelujah! And the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Zerus to attack those determined to destroy. No one could stand against them. Did you get that? No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were what say it with me were afraid of them. Say it with me. Were afraid of them. That is what God does. He puts fear into the heart of our enemies. He puts fear into the plans. He thwarts the plans set against his children. That is what God does. He put fear in their enemies. We just read that actually they weren't fearful at all. <laughs> they were coming in with guts and mind and suddenly they felt free. And you and I know that when we feel fear, we don't function at our optimum capacity, right? Fear is crippling. You and I can't have the capacity to plant fear into anybody. But your God, my God, has the capacity to embed fear where fear needs to be. Do you at any point get a sense of God's protection over these Jewish people? You at any point get a sense of, wow, you were in it, God. You were for them. You had your eye out on them. I want to tell you a um, story I read some time ago, which is just so incredibly mind-blowing, and if you're a visual person, you'll love it. Has anybody heard of a fish called the Moses soul fish? Slip your hand up if you've ever heard of a Moses soul fish. One person in this whole room. The Moses soul fish. That that proves my point. That's good. (laughs) Well, the Moses soulfish is the smallest species of fish in the sea. Now, the Moses soulfish has this unusual capacity where when it's swimming in the ocean and it comes into um, close proximity with a shark, the Moses soulfish, would I say it was the smallest species of fish in the sea, the Moses soulfish has a capacity to release a milky substance from its gills that actually floats around in the water and locks the jaws of a shark. And so this tiny little baby fish can actually swim around in the ocean, get to a humongous shark that's thinking, you don't even factor, like you're not even like, you know, you're not entree, you're just like a nothing. But what happens to the shark's mouth is it locks. The shark, mammoth, humongous, big, the Moses soulfish, tiny, No one in this room knows about it except for one person. Locks the jaws of a shark. And so, this little fish can swim in and out of the shark's mouth, and the shark's like... Really? And so, scientists were like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. What we need to do is we need to replicate this milky substance, inject it or give it to divers so that, you know, when they come into contact or when they sense a shark is within close whereabouts, They can actually press a button, release it, locks the the jaws of a shark. Do you think that science could reproduce it? Of course not. Of course not. Because that is something put in this inconspicuous little fish that no one in this room knows about by God, by Almighty God, the creator of the universe. Do you think that if God can actually inject the Moses soul fish with a substance that locks the jaws of a shark, that he cannot give you and me whatever it takes to protect us in the face of our issues, the big ones, the small ones? Do you not think that he can give you what it takes to swim in and out of the jaws of danger in your waiting period? Do you not think that he would be mindful of you? You see, God is the God of protection and turnarounds. And what do you and I need to do? Wear That favour mentality. Because that favour mentality is what you and I need, not just in our waiting times, but in our everyday life, in our everyday life. And so today I want to invite you to trade your fear mentality for a favour mentality. I want to encourage you to trade it over, to hand it over and go, God, here's my fear mentality. You take that. And from you, I want to take back a favor mentality. And some of you might be sitting here right now and locking eyes with me, or maybe putting your head down so that you don't lock eyes with me, and saying, Susie, you just don't understand. You don't know my story. I couldn't expect a favor from God because you don't know who I am. You see, I've actually dug my own hole, I'm in this place on purpose. I've put myself in this mess. I don't deserve favour from God. I'm not expecting favour from God because that would sort of like pull the whole justice system on its head. But you don't know that, Susie, and so it's all well and good for you to say that. It was all well and good for Esther and Mordecai, but not for me. Can I tell you something? All along, we've spoken about Esther and Mordecai as the faithful, awesome, devout individuals who loved God and went all out for Him. But you know what else happened? Earlier I told you that the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon because they didn't adhere to God's warnings and so they found themselves in exile. When the Persians took over, The Jews were allowed to go back home, and some of them did. But you see, the Jews who were still in Persia at the moment were the Jews who chose not to go back home. So why would they not go back home? Because, you see, back home was messy. Back home was hard yards. Back home had to be rebuilt. Back home was going to take some really hard work. But Persia was affluent. Persia was doing well. Persia was fun. They were mixing with the Persians. And so they decided to stay. And so the Jews in the story of Esther and Esther and Mordecai were in Persia because they decided to stay because it was the easy way out. But you see, Bible commentators also tell us that Esther was in the palace for 12 months before she got selected to be queen. She was also in the palace for four years, up until this point. So that's a grand total of how many years? Five years. In five years, her behavior, her talk, and everything she did didn't let on to the fact that she was a Jewish girl until she exposed that fact herself. Really? So she blended in with the Persian culture so much so over a period of five years. I suppose that also means she wasn't eating kosher, she wasn't worshipping kosher and she wasn't doing kosher things because they had no idea she was a Jewish girl. Wow. So she wasn't as devout as we think she is. She didn't choose the hard yards. She chose to say and do it easy, really. And so if you think that you don't deserve God's favor. We're probably fair to conclude that neither did Esther and Mordecai. But that didn't stop them from receiving God's favor. That didn't stop them from changing the entire destiny of their people. That did not change them from rewriting history for the Jews. That did not change God's favor from channeling in on them. God didn't say, I'm sorry you didn't head back home. I'm sorry you were not faithful. I'm sorry you ate and drank that and you never witnessed and told them about that and that and that. And if you never told them, they would have never have known. I'm so sorry. No free claim bonus for you, Esther. But God was like, in this, God's favor was over them. They went in expecting God's favor. And up until today, centuries later, centuries later, we still celebrate the Feast of Purim. Now, I want to show you something that I was like, whoa, <laughs> when we discovered this. The very first verse we pulled up today, Esther 3.7, spoke about Haman casting the lot. In the first month, the month of Nisan, the Purr. So the Purr referred to the lot where at that moment it was decided that the Jews would all be annihilated. That's what the Pur meant. So when anyone referred to the Pur, they knew that that was the day where everyone was going to die. Do you actually know that up until today, all these centuries later, the Jewish people still celebrate the Feast of Purim? And Purim is the extended word coming from the word Pur. But they celebrate it till today as a declaration for how God turns things around. What was one day referred to as per, meaning destruction and annihilation and evil, became what today means victory and power and control and favor. And so as the band comes up, I want to encourage you to receive A favor mentality. Because like I said, you and I know what waiting looks like, as do 60 billion other people on the face of the earth. We all know what waiting looks like. As you wait, do you want to wait with a fear mentality or do you want to wait with a favor mentality? Do you want to believe and put on the garments of God being the God of divine quotas? Do you want to go through your next true waiting period believing that God is the God of divine solutions, the God of loopholes? And do you want to go through your next waiting period believing that God is the God who has divine abilities? And so I want to encourage you as we get up to sing and worship God and sing, He is able, that you would declare that over your life and say, God, not only are you able to turn my purr into purim. Not only are you able to take my fear and give me favor, not only are you able to turn things around for me, but you are able to turn me around on the inside. Would you just put your heart out to God as we stand to sing? Would you put it out and say, God, I can't run away from waiting. Life is full of waiting games. I'm not asking you to abolish the weight, but I'm asking you to change me in the weight. I'm asking you to dress me with a favor mentality, almighty God. Because the mosaic artist is the artist who can repaint any area of your life. Who can reposition any tile where he wants it to go. He's the one who pulls broken pieces together and turns them into a masterpiece. He's the one who sees gaps and, yeah, looks unfinished, and it's a waiting game. We don't really know how Judy's going to finish that, but you can turn up next week and have a look. But we know it's going to be gorgeous. We know it's going to be worth the wait. Would you stand and would you sing with every fibre within you, God is able. And if you don't feel like he is, that is okay too. Say to him, Father God, I don't feel like you're able. But I ask you to give me that small bit of faith.